All right, you got your Bibles this morning. Turn to the, uh, we're going to turn to two different books today. The Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 16. And then also we're going to be in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10. Exodus chapter 16 and Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in both of those places today. And uh, we're continuing with a series of messages that we're calling From Vision to Victory. From Vision to Victory. And as I begin the message today, this last week, my sister sent me a picture of one of my nephews uh, by the name of Owen. Owen is, uh, I want to say, probably eight or nine years old. You see the picture of him there on the screen. This is her second oldest boy, um, Owie, uh, as he is also known. Uh, he had a bicycle accident this last week. Uh, my sister and her husband, they have three boys. And um, let's just say that they live life full tilt. That might be the easiest way to describe it. They live at full speed. Um, I want to say really a safe guesstimate would be about every three months we get a picture of one of those three being in the emergency room. And uh, Owe was the latest one to be in the emergency room, had a bicycle accident, and uh, didn't break his arm, had a hairline fracture, and uh, ended up in ER and had a specialized, it's not a cast, but some type of specialized thing that was put on it. And, uh, but I, I show this picture of Oe there and, uh, because his mom and dad told him, said, Oe said, listen, if you're really good for the doctor, when we get done, we'll take you to Walmart and we'll let you get a new toy. And they told him how much money they would spend on him. And so he was really good for the doctor and uh, all, everything was put together there. So when they left, Dad took him to Walmart to pick out a new toy. And the new toy that he picked out, now look at the picture. You see where his arm is at, all right? And get this. The new toy that he picked out, he went through all the toys in Walmart, knew how much money he had to spend. Look at the picture. The new toy he picked out was a Frisbee, all right? Imagine that. Of all the toys that he could pick out, and I, she sent me that text, and I thought, wow. That is a man with a vision right there. His arm is in a sling. It's going to be in that little casting for several days or weeks or whatever it may be. But that is called a man with a vision right there that someday he's going to be able to throw that brand new Frisbee. It's going to be a few weeks, but one of these days that boy is going to be throwing that brand new Frisbee. You know, hey, break my leg, give me a soccer ball, right? Break my arm, give me a brand new Frisbee. But that boy has got a vision. Nothing is going to stop him from achieving his dream. And that reminded me of these messages that we've been talking about over these last few weeks here, talking about going from vision to victory. Because we're talking about stepping into our God-ordained destiny, the dreams and the visions that God places into our hearts, whether it be for our personal life or as we've even talked about for our church as well. And as we've looked about moving from vision to victory, we've talked about how we've got to prepare ourselves to move in that place from vision to victory. And we've seen how we need a change if we're going to move from that place from vision to victory. We need a renewal because we want to do more than just dream. We want to do more than just talk about it. We want to do more than just wish. We want to do more than just pray but we want to reach that place that God has given to us, the, the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. We want to live in that place. And so as we've been following the children of Israel, going through the desert from the place they've 
left Egypt, that place of slavery. They're headed toward the promised land, the dream and the vision that God had placed in their heart. We've seen that they were not ready to step into the promised land. We saw a couple of weeks ago that the first thing they needed was they needed a brand new heart. They weren't ready to go into the promised land. Then we saw last week that God took them on that longer journey. Rather than the 10-day journey, God led them on a two-year journey down through the promised land. But that two-year journey became a 40-year journey because the Bible says that they began to complain and began to murmur and they had this negative attitude. And because that continual complaining and murmuring and negativity continued to be poured out against God and against all the leaders, God kept them there in the desert for 40 years. So we said last week, not only did they need a new heart, but they also needed a new mouth. Today, we're going to go into Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to see, we're going to pick up the children of Israel actually just six weeks after they had left the uh, land of Egypt. Just six weeks after the Red Sea had parted, this great miracle that had taken place, you would think they would have been so grateful for this miraculous deliverance that they would still be in a place of great celebration. I mean, think, if you would have seen the Red Sea parted, you would have probably been walking on cloud nine for a long time, right? I mean, if God does a great miracle for you, I mean, you're, you're going to be grateful for probably many years to come, right? Well, that's what we would think with the children of Israel. But just six weeks later, we're going to pick them up here in Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse number one. And the Bible says that the whole Israelite community set out from Elam, and they came to the desert of Sin. And by the way, S-I-N doesn't mean that they were sinning, per se. That was just the name of the desert there, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. This is another one of the places, again, where they were grumbling and complaining and murmuring against God and against the leaders because you brought us out of this place and you've led us out into the desert. And we find time and time again that the children of Israel, they should have been so grateful for the miraculous deliverance but instead, they desired to go back of all places. They desired to go back into the land of slavery. And, I, and when I read that, I question, I wonder to myself, what caused a, what I call a spirit of quit to settle into the hearts of the people after a great miraculous deliverance? What caused them to want to go back to a place of slavery? Were they so comfortable in that place of slavery that they now entered into the desert? And I know it was an unpredictable place. It was an unpredictable life that they were living. They didn't know from day to day, is God going to pick us up and lead us to another place? Or are we going to be here? It was an unpredictable lifestyle that they were living. And, and sure, it was a comfortable life per se, but really, they were slaves. In fact, they were the ones crying out to God for deliverance. And God answered their prayer, but now God is, or they're saying to God, God, we want to go back to that place of slavery. 
Or was it their familiar routine? We know what we're going to do from day to day. I mean, we know that we're going to be slaves. We're going to get up. We're going to make bricks all day long. We know we're going to be punished. We know that we're slaves. We know what our lifestyle is going to be every day. And that is much easier than doing this life out in the desert that is so, again, unpredictable. Well, maybe it was the safety of numbers. I don't know what it was, but somehow the spirit of quit had settled into the hearts of the people, and they felt that things somehow would be easier and more comfortable than the place where God had settled them in the desert. And we could examine and come up with maybe more reasons of why we think they wanted to quit, but here's what I want to turn our hearts to today. I want to turn our attention now to the Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, because I believe it's a Scripture today to help anchor our hearts during difficult seasons of life, especially when we're striving to reach the destiny that God has prepared for us. Because if we're all honest today, there are times in life when we want to quit. If we're all honest today, there are times in life when life gets hard, life gets challenging, and we are ready to throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm done I'm ready to quit. There are times in life when things get so difficult that we just want to take matters into our own hand and say, you know what, I don't like God's timing. I don't like God's process. God's not doing things the way I think He should be doing. And so, you know what, I'm just going to take matters into my own hand, and I'm going to do it my way rather than doing it God's way. And there are times in life when we want to maybe run somewhere else because we think that the grass is greener on the other side. You know what I've learned about the grass being greener on the other side? It has to be mowed a lot more often. In fact, I've learned this about the grass being greener on the other side. Not only does it have to be mowed more often and it requires a lot more work, that also means that it has been, uh, you know, that it has been fertilized a lot more. And you know what makes good fertilizer? is manure, and that usually means that it stinks a lot more too, right? <laughs> so the grass being greener on the other side doesn't mean that it's always a prettier picture, but some people think that. They think, well, I'm just going to, you know, I don't like how things are here, so I'm just going to pick up and go over there because the grass is greener on the other side. And so sometimes we just say, well, I just don't understand things, and so we allow the spirit of quit to take over, and we say, you know what, I'm just done. I think I'm just going to quit. Church, listen, what we need is we need a spirit of perseverance in our hearts today. We need a spirit of perseverance, a never-quit attitude if we are going to step into our God-ordained destiny, if we are going to reach the places that God wants us to reach and to achieve the dreams and things that God has placed into our hearts, we've got to have a spirit of perseverance to say, I am not going to quit. I may face obstacles. I may face difficulties. People may challenge me. Things may challenge me. But I am not going to quit. I am going to persevere. I, if we allow that spirit of quit to take over our lives and, and we allow those things to come in and to, to, to begin to take over and to run our lives, we are never going to be satisfied. We are never going to reach those God-ordained dreams. We're constantly going to be running. We're constantly going to be quitting. And we're never going to allow God to produce in us the things that He wants to produce. We've got to have our minds renewed so that we can develop a spirit of perseverance. So here's a verse we're going to look at today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 36. And I think it's a great verse that every one of us 
need to memorize. Hebrews 10 verse 36 says this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. I want to read it again and then we're going to break this verse down line by line. Three different lines that are found here. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Let's take the first phrase that is mentioned there. First of all, he says, you need to persevere. If we were to define it in the simplest of terms, the word persevere simply means to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little or no prospect of success. Let me state that again. To persevere means to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. Or here's another way that we would state it today. It means to put your nose to the grindstone. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? Or you need to keep on keeping on. That's what it means to persevere. Journalist and news anchor, he's retired now, Tom Brokaw, several years ago wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. The Greatest Generation is about the young adults of the World War II generation. And he calls them the greatest generation. He called them great because of the strife and the turmoil that they endured. And he talks about how they prevailed against Hitler's great war machine, how they suffered through the Great Depression, and yet they built so much of the foundation of America, the industrial age that we have here today. And America is thriving so much on what we have here today. Some of the lessons, he gave three, seven lessons at least that, that you can pull out of that book. And let me just quickly highlight what they are. He talks about how the greatest generation taught us that we need to take personal responsibility for our own life. That we need to be frugal. We need to be humble. We need to love loyally. We need to work hard. We need to embrace challenge. We need to not make life so complicated. I think those are some great lessons that we can take away. But I think really the heart of the book, one of the hearts of the book you could say is this, one of the great marks of that greatest generation was, was that they had a heart of perseverance. They did not quit. Throughout all of the trials of the Great Depression. And all of the things, all the challenges that they faced, they could have pulled back and said, you know what, life is just absolutely too hard. But instead of pulling back, they rose to the challenge and said, you know what, if we are going to make it, we've got to pull together. We've got to pull our families together. We've got to, listen, we've got to be tougher than we've ever been before. We've got to come together as families. We've got to come together as a nation. We've got to find solutions to work through these problems so that we can not only make it now, but so that we can have a future ahead of us. So that our children and our grandchildren can have a future. Because it wasn't a matter of just survival, but it was a matter of we want to thrive for the future generations ahead of us. And I believe that's something that our world and our society needs today. We need that heart of perseverance today. Amen? 
We need that same heart of perseverance. And even in the church today, we need that same heart of perseverance that when difficulties come, we have got to learn to pull together. And we've got to say, you know what? The challenges may come. They may come against us. They may come against our families. They may come against us personally. We've got to learn to pull together and say, listen, we are going to work harder than we've ever worked before. We are going to put our hands to the plow, and we are going to move forward. There may be distractions around us. There may be voices of negativity around us. There may be obstacles that are before us, but we are going to put our hands to the plow, and we are going to persevere against the obstacles, not just for our sake, but for the future generations that are around us. We are going to persevere against the obstacles. Jesus even said it so well in Luke 9, verse number 62, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, listen, if you are going to put your hands to the plow, don't you look back, but you keep persevering. It may get difficult. The plow may be shaken. I think of the old-time farmers with the plow, not with the the new big machinery sitting in the air conditioner, right, that's all built by the GPS. Not that that's bad. That's great technology. But I think of my grandpa, right, with the old plow. It may get difficult, and it may get hard, and there may be the challenges and the obstacles, but you put your hand to the plow. Don't you look back. Don't look to the side. Don't you quit. Don't take your hand off of it. But you put your hand to the plow and you keep looking forward and you keep plowing. We've got to move forward. We've got to persevere. Because listen, the enemy wants us to quit. You hear that? The enemy wants you to quit. Satan is fighting against you. He does not want you to reach the promised land. He does not want you to to reach the, the, the destination or the destiny that God has prepared for you. And as we journey through life, we are going to face the obstacles. We're going to face personal obstacles. We're going to face spiritual obstacles. We're going to face tests. We're going to face disagreements and trials and sufferings and difficulties. And those things will wear on us and distract us and toss us about. And it will cause us to want to quit. But we have got to persevere in the name of Jesus. Amen? Those obstacles will prevent you from receiving your God-ordained destiny. Satan will use them, and sometimes he's even the author of them to try to come against you. But you've got to persevere. In fact, persevere not only means to just hang on, but the Bible, as the Bible uses the phrase here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, it means to have patience and endurance. To persevere. You need to persevere. It says It means you need to be patient, That means to wait upon God. God, I don't understand what's going on. God, I don't understand the process. I don't understand the things that are happening around me. God says you need to persevere. You need to wait upon me. They that wait upon the Lord, the Bible says, shall renew their strength. Amen? You need to wait upon the Lord and wait upon His timing and His process. Be patient. Wait upon Him. God calls us to lie calmly in His hands and to submit to His will and His way. Be patient and continue to endure. Continue to move forward and trust His plan and His way. I want to encourage you today, if you're facing an obstacle, do not quit. I know the children of Israel had to learn that lesson of perseverance. I know it was not pretty, it was not fun in the desert. But they had to persevere. And I want to encourage you today to continue to persevere. Let me give you a great example of what perseverance is. 
here in our service today, even after being moved on to hospice care just in recent days, Judy Davis sitting right here in service, that is what I call great spirit of perseverance. Amen? That is called perseverance to say, you know what? As long as I have the strength and the ability to get up, I don't care what doctor's reports may be. I don't care what comes against my body physically. As long as I can get to the house of the Lord, I'm going to be there in church service. Amen? That's perseverance. Saying, you know what? I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. And I'm going to keep trucking and moving forward, Judy. Thank you for your spirit of perseverance, sister. You are an example to every one of us today. Thank you. You know what? You've been here today. You preach a better sermon than I do. Amen? Praise God. Just being here is better than my, my sermon right here. That's what it means. Do not quit. I'm going to keep going forward. I'm going to have patience, and I'm going to have endurance. I'm going to keep persevering in the name of Jesus. Secondly, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, so that you have done the will of God. Let's talk about the will of God for just a moment. In his book, Hang in there to the better end. Notice it's not the bitter end, but hang in there to the better end. Craig Brian Larson, the Assembly of God pastor, had pastored a church in Chicago from 19, let me clarify, inner city Chicago. <laughs> there is a difference being around Chicago and inner city Chicago. Pastored an inner city church from 1979 to 1987. When he took over the church, it was only 25 people. Rundown facility, rundown of rundown facilities. Very little income, very little to work with. The time he left in 1987 had built it up to a large number of 90 people. That was still a strong congregation. But it was just very difficult circumstances to work in in the inner city of Chicago. And he says this about learning to persevere. He says, There is usually a delay between our obedience to God's will and the fulfillment of His promise. I want you to pay attention. I'm going to reread re that statement. There is usually a delay between our obedience to God's will and the fulfillment of His promise. Often we step out to follow God based on an assumption that is quite different. Subconsciously, we expect that when we obey God, everything should go well. That obedience is like rubbing a rabbit's foot. Rough times disorient us. What's going on, Lord? We wonder. I'm obeying. Why aren't you upholding your end of the agreement? He said, I soon realized I was in the hiatal pause of promise. Isn't that so true of all of us? That sometimes we expect that God gave us a promise, or a dream, or a vision of something. We think that if we just do all of the right things, one, two, three, that it should just equal this and this, and it should all work out perfectly. That we somehow think that all the stars should just line up. If we just pray to all the right things, everything should just be perfect. I mean, we're doing the will of God, right? Everything should just be perfect. If we can just get everything lined up, bam, it's all going to fly out. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all going to be flying colors. But when the rough times come, as he says, the rough times disorient us. 
And the rough times confuse us, and we wonder, God, what's going on? I, I, I don't understand it. I've learned this. Doing the will of God simply means we need to obey God. This is a call to obedience, despite what our present circumstances are. It is a call to obedience regardless of what's going on around us. Because again, our journey to our destiny and the promises and the dreams and the vision that God gives us, it's never going to be easy. And those rough times can disorient us. It can rattle our cage and even rattle our faith a little bit. And we can question God and we can question ourselves and we can make assumptions. We can try to blame people. We can try to blame things and, and, and it doesn't make sense and discouragement can settle in and we will want to quit. And we just simply need to learn that during that, how what he calls that hiatal uh, place of, uh, of pause in our lives, we need to simply learn to trust and obey God. When we're in that season of life, we need to simply obey God. Questions may go unanswered. Confusion may abound. Difficulties may not only be there, but they might even increase. But it's in that season of difficulty that we need to understand that oftentimes God is doing His greatest work. Do you realize that? It's in that season of difficulty when we learn to trust God and we learn to obey God. We don't understand, God, what's going on, but we learn to trust Him and say, God, I'm going to leave it in your hands. God, and I think Tiffany had alluded to this even during worship, so many times we say, God, I'm going to leave it in your hands or we say, God, I'm going to leave it at your feet, but we want to go pick it back up and hold on to it, right? But if we will leave it at His feet and say, God, I'm just going to trust you that is when God is able to do His greatest work. Philippians 2 verse number 13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. I want to encourage you today, you're in that season. Maybe you feel like the children of Israel. You're like in that desert season. And you don't understand what's going on. I want to encourage you today to trust in the Lord. That's what the, it tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter Three, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And all of our ways to acknowledge Him. He will lead and guide and direct our paths. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will lead you. He will guide you in that season that seems to be so difficult and you don't understand. Simply obey Him. When you get to Joshua chapter 3, you finally reach the children of Israel. We were in Exodus chapter 16. They had just crossed over from uh, the Red Sea. Took a, all the way to Joshua chapter 3. They're now getting ready to enter into the promised land. This time they're standing at the Jordan River. Standing at the Jordan River, the Bible describes it that the Jordan River is at flood stage. Now the Jordan River is not a large river. But when it's at flood stage, the Jordan River is said to be at some point up to half a mile wide. We don't know what it was that particular day when they came to it, but up to a half a mile wide, that's a pretty big surging uh, body of water. 
as they stood at the Jordan River, the Bible tells us that God told them for the priest to step into the water. This is an act of faith for the priest to step into the water. And the Bible says that when the priest stepped into the water, this was different than the Red Sea parting. That time Moses held out the, uh, the, the stick there and God parted the Red Sea. But this time was different because as the priest stepped into the water, the Bible says that the water stopped flowing upstream at the city of Ai. That's how it's pronounced, the two letters, Ai. It stopped flowing at the city of Ai. The city of Ai does not exist today, but uh, scholars believe they know where it's at. The city of Ai was seven miles upstream. Seven miles upstream. So that means that when the priest stepped into the water, seven miles of water had to continue to flow. The water eventually began to recede, but seven miles of water had to continue to flow. God stopped. He dammed the water up seven miles upstream, but they didn't see it take place at first. What does that mean, Pastor? It simply means this, that when they trusted the Lord, God began to dam up the water. God was working seven miles upstream on their behalf. When they would trust the Lord in that difficult place, God was working seven miles upstream. And I want to encourage you today that when we are living in faith and obedience, sometimes we don't see the hand of God working. Sometimes we don't understand what is going on. We don't see the present circle, or we don't see the present things that are that God is doing around us. But we need to understand that if we will trust and obey the Lord, God will be working seven miles upstream on your behalf. And God will eventually bring things about. God will do His will and He will do His things in His timing and in His way. But you've got to trust and obey the Lord in that season of your life. Amen? God will be working seven miles upstream on your behalf. God is moving, but you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, the third thing is this you will receive what He has promised. You will receive what He has promised. You see, God wants you to receive what He has promised. He wants you to receive the destiny that He has promised. He wants you to receive the dreams and the visions that He has planted in your heart. For the church, He wants us to be living and thriving and moving in that dreams and the vision that He's planted in our hearts. He wants us to be in that place. He doesn't want to say, hey, I want to dangle it out there and, and you know, make it like a, a, you know, you're playing a cruel joke on a dog like, here, catch this. No, 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 catch this. No, come on, boy, come on. No, you never get it. God wants you to receive that. God wants you to have that in your life. He doesn't want to play some kind of cruel, mean joke. God wants you to receive that. He wants to lead and guide you and I to the plans and the promises that He has for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us so plainly, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to know today that God is on your side. God is cheering for you. All of heaven is cheering for you. God wants you to receive the promises and the dreams and the visions and the plans that He has for your life. God wants you to receive that. He wants you to have that. Today you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what God has prepared for you. 
Don't allow people. and Don't allow the other obstacles that come your way to distract you and to throw you off course. I don't know what those challenges are that you're facing and that you're coming up against. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we've got to run the race with perseverance. Run the race with perseverance. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't allow those things. Don't allow those people to throw you off course. Don't give up now. Listen, when you give up, you will forfeit the things that God has promised. Don't forfeit the things that God has promised you because listen, there is a cost to quitting. There is a cost to quitting. God can give you dreams and visions and place things in your heart. And God wants to do miracles in and through your life. But if you quit, those things are going to be forfeited in your life. It's kind of like the baker or maybe a great chef. They can make the best bread in the world and he can go out and he can shop for the best ingredients. and He can spend hours putting all of the ingredients together. And he can knead and he can mix all of the ingredients together to make the finest bread in the world. And let that stuff rise and put it in the oven and bake it and he can watch it. But if he pulls that loaf of bread out too early, it's simply going to be a gooey, doughy mess. Why? Because he forfeited things by pulling it out too early. He quit. And the same thing with us, church. If we quit, we are going to forfeit the plans of God and the work of God in our lives. Do not quit. I wonder how many times people have missed a miracle in their life because they quit too early on God. I wonder how many times people have missed their destiny and the things that God has placed in their heart. How many churches have missed their destiny because they quit and they gave up on what God has placed in their hearts. How many times people have quit when the times got hard, when the miracle was just around the corner? How many times was God, maybe they thought, well, the door was just closed and it was shut, and they had their hand on the doorknob, and they quit because things seemed too hard, when they simply just needed to hang on and just turn that doorknob, and God had the miracle there waiting for them. How many times have people given up when they're in that desert season when God was simply doing a great work, preparing them to step into the promised land? How many people have turned back and said, you know what, it got too hard, and I quit? How many people have missed their destiny with God because they quit too early? Rather than persevering during the hard times, they allow the spirit of quit to come in and to take over and to pull them back, and they missed what God had prepared for them. I want to encourage you and urge you today to push through. Listen, some of you, you're used to pushing through in so many other areas of your life. You push through when the finances get hard. You push through when the job gets hard. You push through when the family gets hard. Listen, don't give up when God is moving and working in your life. You need to push through and continue to persevere. Do not quit because you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what God has promised for you. Amen? Do not quit. In conclusion today, developing a spirit of perseverance requires a new mind. It requires that God gives us a new mind. We need God to transform and to renew our thinking. Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, we do not need to allow our mind to be patterned after this world. 
But we need to allow God to transform our life. We need to allow to be renewed so that we can fulfill His will in our lives. In fact, Paul even tells us three different times he was facing a challenge in his life. And he prayed, God, take it away. He called it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn was. But he prayed three different times, God, take it away. But it was never removed. But here's what Jesus did respond to him. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I want to encourage you today, as you continue to persevere, to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. And I want to encourage us as a church today to know that God's grace is sufficient for us. And we must continue to persevere. And we must ask God to renew our minds and say, God, help us to be renewed in our thinking so that, God, we can continue to persevere when times get hard. So that, God, we not only can individually, but even as a church, Lord, we can continue to have that spirit of perseverance. That no matter what challenges come our way, no matter what difficulties come against us, God, we will persevere against those things. We will put our nose to the grindstone. And God, we will continue to go forward. And God will continue to give us His grace and His strength to move forward.